Well, take your Bible out and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to be in chapter 8 and chapter 9 today in 2 Corinthians. And I want to share a message that uh, really falls in line with the last two messages that we've preached in this series. And as we begin this morning, I want to remind you uh, where we've been since the first of the year. We've been very strategic and intentional in the messages that we've been bringing. We began the year on January the 1st. That was the Sunday, January the 1st. And, and I did an exposition on John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, where we talked about setting our course for the year. And we should set our course for abiding in Christ. What does it mean to abide? To make Christ our habitat. What's the benefit of that? We'll remain in him and we'll bear fruit. If, if you're not uh, in Christ, you're not going to bear fruit. And those who are in Christ and are bearing fruit, the father, the vine dresser, comes along and you are the branch, Christ is, you know, you're the branches, Christ is the vine. The vine dresser comes and he prunes the branches that are bearing fruit. So let's get the picture here. This is a part of this, this analogy that Jesus gave that I'm not sure we're grasping or that many Christians grasp. When you are faithful in the vine and you bear fruit, the Father comes to you and he prunes you. Pruning's not fun. How many of you can say that in 2023, you experienced some pruning? <laughs> I sure did. But the reason the Father prunes those who are in the, in the vine are because not only did they bear fruit, he wants them to bear more fruit. I was talking this morning with one of our families that just found that they have black mold behind their cabinets. And so they had to move out. Thankfully, they're in a home of uh, a family member, uh, and they're going to get that taken care of. But believe me, there's a lot of pruning in that. It, it, the Lord allows things to happen, or sometimes the Lord even causes things to happen, so that he might grow us spiritually, that we might, the ultimate goal of spiritual growth is, we'd bear more fruit for him. God's called the church to be fruit bearers. And, and that's exactly where we were that Sunday. And then we, the next message that I preached was from Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And that was the story of the prodigal son. And we focused on how to turn from our sins and return to God. We saw the love of the father on full display when the, when the son returns humbly, not deserving of the father's love from his perspective because of the greatness of his sins. And the father looks right past the boy's sinfulness, right past the, the, the rebellion, the disobedience of his son, and he lavishes him with righteousness. He clothes him in his own clothing. Is that not what the father has done for us? When we turn from our sin, we repent of our sin, and we humbly come before him, and we confess that we're sinners. And what does God do? Does he say, well, I could have told you it would have ended that way. 
shame on you. You should have never gone there to be. No, no. The Father, through Christ and his work on the cross, the Father clothes you as you come back to him humbly. The Father clothes you in his righteousness. He covers you. What a great, great thought as we start the new year that God is not holding our sins against us. That's not his desire. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. And then we had the missions weekend, and following the missions weekend, we started this new series. And we are in this series titled, The Church and All Her Beauty. The first week was an introduction week, and I focused on uh, the beauty of God's church from his perspective. What makes the church effective? What makes the church right in God's eyes? What, why did God create the church? And we looked at all of that. We looked at the restraints that God has placed on the earth through the church. And, and it was a wonderful time just kind of getting our perspective on the value of church, the importance of belonging to God's church. And then uh, last week, we, after the following week, I preached a sermon highlighting the first of five characteristics of a believer. And the first characteristic is a believer grows spiritually. So many Christians are not growing because they no longer believe the Bible to be the authoritative or inspired word of God. I just found this recently in a 2022 Gallup poll. Only, listen to this, only 20% of Americans now say the Bible is the literal word of God. 20%, while at the same time, 29% say the Bible is a collection of fables, legends, history, and moral precepts recorded by man. So why would someone read the Bible where spiritual growth was the focus, but before people will even pick up the Bible, which is the primary source for spiritual growth, you got to have something to measure your life against, right? Well, the word is our standard. But why would somebody pick it up if they believe it's a bunch of myths and fables? So we focused specifically on the veracity, the reliability, the immutability of the word of God. It is God's word, every single part of it in the original text. So that was two weeks ago. Last week, Pastor Brenton preached a tremendous message on love forgivingly. So we started with grow spiritually, love forgivingly. What an important part of the Christian walk because without love, we are nothing, 1 Corinthians 13 says. And we need to love forgivingly. It's not just the, the idea of love, that I have a loving heart. It's the, as Pastor Brenton said, it's the act of love. Love is an action, it's a verb. And how are we to love? In the body of Christ, forgivingly. Because in the body of Christ, we're a bunch of messed up people. And God has loved us and looked past our messed up stuff. But we're going to make a mess. And we're going to have messes in our relationships with one another from time to time. How many can say amen to that? And some of you are going, amen, pastor. These people need to hear this message. Um, 
God needs you to hear this message. Every one of us needs to hear it. So that was last week. We started with grow spiritually, then we went to love forgivingly. Now this week is give faithfully. A true believer of Jesus Christ loves forgivingly. They will give faithfully. And I want to talk to you about this. Uh, what does the scripture, it doesn't matter what I think, it doesn't matter my opinion, it doesn't matter what somebody wrote in some book of their opinion, the only thing that matters when we approach the subject of giving is what God thinks. What does the Bible say? So that's where I want to focus our time is in the word of God. Most Christians were raised to believe that tithing is the method of giving uh, to God. Uh, and it is certainly the easiest method to carry out. I'm not saying that it's easy to give a tenth. That would be a big step for a lot of people here today. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's easy in the sense that I can quickly find out what a tenth is. I get my paycheck and I multiply that by 0.1. And that tells me what my tenth is, my tithe should be. If, if the early church, if the New Testament church teaches tithing, that's the simplest method. But the, the early church, the New Testament, the epistles, do not teach tithing as it did under the law. Something changed. Some will say that because of Christ, he's the fulfillment of the law. Now it's more than, it's better than, it's ahead of. I'm just going to say it's, it's a change. Christ leads his people today, part of his church, to give differently than they did in the Old Testament. It's harder to do it the way that Christ taught and the way Paul ex explains. It's actually harder to give today than it was for the Old Testament Jews. And by the way, some of you would say, well, they, you know, it was pretty simple for them. They just gave 10%. That's inaccurate. That's, that's, that's not true. You're, you're catching a partial truth in that. They gave a tenth to the poor. That was part of God's governmental tax system over the Jews. But in reality, what it equaled to was about 25 to 26% of their income annually went into the taxation, which included not just giving for the poor, but it also provided for the priests at the temple. It provided for the many festivals that were at the temple. It provided for the temple ministry that the priests conducted. And then it also provided for the poor. 26% annually for the Jews in the Old Testament. If you say, well, we need to return to the Old Testament. I want to be a tither. Uh, it wasn't a tenth. Okay? So, so that, just get that, understand that. You say, okay, are you just saying this? No, let me give you some references, okay? Write these down. Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 29. Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 29. Leviticus 27, 30 through 33. Leviticus 19, 9 through 10. And Exodus 23, 10 and 11. It was not a simple 10% taken to the temple. It was yearly, and it was, over, it was covering several areas that God wanted the people to tax, to be taxed in. So, 
once Christ died on the cross, obviously the Mosaic law is no longer in place. We're not having to give 26% like the Jews did. You don't even have to give a tenth. There's no, nothing in the early church that's, that says that the tenth is the way of giving among God's people. It doesn't mean that it's wrong to give a tenth. But it's just not like it's mandated. It's not a command in the New Testament. So we have to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 to begin understanding the teaching of Scripture on giving for the church. So we're going to look at three important factors that help us give in a way that honors and pleases the Lord. It's not about a percentage number. It's about heart. It's about motivation for giving. It's about worship. So these are much harder to nail down. But this is what God calls every believer, from the wealthy to the poorest, to consider these things. So let's start, first of all, with the foundational principles. I want to give you several foundational principles that help us have the correct mindset for giving in God's church, okay? Then we're going to look at a second factor, which is the motivation for giving. And then thirdly, we're going to look at the details that Paul gives us regarding giving. And then fourthly, I'm going to just say something about the attitude of the giver. So we're going to cover this not from Greg's perspective or some man. This is God's perspective. So we begin this by understanding here's the foundation. Here's the presupposition for all giving in the church. Whether you're here today and you're a faithful giver or you're here today and you've never given, doesn't matter. It's the same for everyone. Here's this presupposition, the baseline for giving. Giving is an act of worship of God. Simple. It's the irreducible minimum. It is the act of worshiping God. Okay? Now, let's go ahead if we can and focus in on this more closely. How should we approach giving? I believe 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 answers this question. There are three foundations for giving in Scripture. Number one, here's the first point for the foundation for giving. Our giving should be driven by grace. Not by a percentage number, not by a formula, mathematical formula. It should be gr driven by grace. Giving is a response to the grace that Christ has given to us. Grace, by the way, you're going to see this because we're going to look at a lot of scripture today. Grace and giving are in the same category. You can't be a giver without showing grace. Grace drives giving. Your understanding of grace is what compels you to give. Okay? Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Look at verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So Paul is out collecting uh, money for the poor saints in Jerusalem, and he comes to Corinth, or he, he sends a letter to Corinth, and he tells them about the wonderful uh, experience of giving that took place among the Macedonian churches. Okay, so here's what he said. He said, uh, the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. 
He's referring to the contributions here. And he's saying those contributions that they gave were an act of grace. An act of grace. Not just here. Three more times Paul uh, alludes to grace in giving. In, chap- in verse 6, verse 7, and verse 19 of the same chapter, he talks about connecting grace to giving. Verse 6, just read one of those. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Titus should bring to you and take the offering. He's going to get the offering. This act of grace that you're going to participate in. So how does grace become a driving force in Christian giving? Well, church, I want to say this is the missing ingredient. Okay? We have to consider giving as we would think about God's grace. To give without considering God's grace would leave us to give with a wrong motivation. Here's what I mean. Let's say you come into something that you learn about someone that they have a need in their life, and your immediate reaction is to pull your wallet out to give. But you haven't taken time yet to remember all that Christ has forgiven you of, all that God's grace has done for you. You've not thought about the lavish grace of God in your life. Because if you did think about it, if you did give consideration, it probably would change how you would give. And this is what Paul is teaching in the church. You can't give without considering grace. Why? Because giving is an act of worship. Giving value to God. Well, what am I valuing in God? I'm valuing what he's done for me. I'm valuing who he is, that he didn't create me because he needed me to fill a hole in his heart. He created me while himself being completely self-sufficient. He just showed grace. He gave me life. And then I messed it up and I sinned like Adam. And yet God's grace looked past my sinfulness. He just lavished me with grace. This should be in our giving. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9, look at verse 12, if you will. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Giving and thanksgiving run together. You'll never find a person be, be generous in giving who is unthankful. Typically, unthankful people don't give. If you're not giving, there might not be enough thankfulness in your life. You've not considered the grace of God enough in your life. It's tied together. But he goes further. Verse 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. And here's the verse I want to focus on, verse 14. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. They see in your giving that you've given consideration to the surpassing grace of God. And that surpassing grace of God that you thought about and that you're thankful for now becomes surpassing giving. 
in the same spirit. The Greek word for surpassing refers to a degree that extraordinarily exceeds a point on a scale. Paul uses a similar phrase in Ephesians 2.7 when he refers to the surpassing riches of his grace. The same Greek word is used for surpassing, but he adds riches referring to the abundant nature of God's grace. You can't think about God without thinking about his, his abundant grace, his abundant love. It's more than you could ever imagine. I'm telling you, have you ever, I, when I was a kid in Daytona Beach, I had a surfboard, and my buddies and I would, would call the surf shop, get the surf report. Boy, have things changed. Now you just pick up your phone, right? You can see the live stream of that ocean right there on your phone. We would get the report. It's going to be, you know, good, good uh, waves today. We'd go down and we would surf. There were some days that hurricanes would roll in, and we would never venture out in the hurricane. My mom would never let me do that. Um, but there were surfers who would go out in the hurricane. But here's what I do know, that I've been at the beach before a hurricane as the waves are building. Have you ever stood just with your knee, up to your knees in the water as these tremendous waves, doubles are coming in and they hit you and they about knock you over? You can't even stand against that wave. It's so strong. And here's the cool thing. The waves never stop coming. I've been part of church baptism services at the ocean where we get there and the waves are three foot, four foot waves. And so we got guys who were stand, big guys standing and we're in front of them closer to the shore as we're baptizing and they're supposed to break the waves. I can't tell you the videos that are hilarious where the wave hits them and they just fall all over us. We all fall down. We can't even have baptism service. The waves are so strong. I'm going to tell you something. The grace of God, the surpassing riches of Christ's love and grace for you is like a wave after wave coming and knocking you over, overwhelming you. That is how much God loves you. He just, he just, here you, you know, you see the wave and you're like, oh Lord, I just want a wave to ride. Oh, 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 that's a, thank you Lord. You go out, you paddle out, you ride the wave, you get back. Lord, if I could just have maybe just a little bigger. Thank you, Lord, and you ride that wave, and you're so excited, you paddle back out. Just, just maybe one more in the next set that's really got some, whoo, and you're like, but the waves keep building. And finally, you're like out there, and you're like, okay, Lord, that, that's good. That's good right there. You don't have to, and the Lord just keeps coming with bigger after bigger after bigger. That's his grace, his love in your life. That we have to consider if we're going to be a Christian giver. No giving should be without that. It, it, it should no longer be that even if you give a tenth, and that's fine, that's good, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, I'm not saying a tenth is wrong to give. I'm just saying even if you are faithful to give a tenth, are you considering the grace of God in that giving? Because it might be that God is even at times swelling up above the tenth for you to give. Not so you get something back. It's not about that. It's not about the return. Now, I mean, the Bible is about return, but not in the way it's taught today where, you know, health, wealth, and prosperity. That's not scriptural. 
but you're giving because you are worshiping God. Total different approach, right? Let me give you another one. Our giving should be driven by our relationship with the Lord. I didn't say Jesus. I didn't say relationship with Jesus, and here's why. The Lord is Jesus, right? Jesus is Lord. That's what the Scripture teaches us. But I said Lord specifically because if you only think of giving to Jesus, then you see him as your friend and you kind of pick what you want to give. But if he's Lord and I have a relationship with my Lord, it, it just makes more serious the act of giving. It becomes more of an act of, of worship, doesn't it? When I see it that way. And so here... Uh, Speaking of the Macedonians and their grace-giving, Paul said in 2 Timothy 8, look at verse 3, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God they gave to us. This wasn't Paul just sharing the order of their giving. First they gave to the Lord, then they gave to the, for the need in Jerusalem. No, no, no. This, this is much more than that. It's about priority. It's about prominence. They first gave to the Lord. We should place our relationship with Christ above all other aspects of our lives. When we spend time with the Lord, seeking the Lord for wisdom, praising the Lord, uh, for all the blessings that he has poured out upon us, adoring the Lord for who he is, something happens to us. We change. And now all of a sudden we realize that God has poured his grace out upon us lavishly in order for us to walk in the good works that he has laid before us to do. In other words, the more I think about it, the more I realize my giving is connected to God's will for my life. If you know what I'm talking about, you know, you've, you've probably read Ephesians 2, 10. Turn, turn to Ephesians 2, verse 10. I want you to see this. It's not very far away. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 10. First, he starts with how God saves us. What a blessing that is. Verse 8, let's go to verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So your salvation is not you. You didn't do it. You didn't contribute to it. You didn't make it happen. It was the Holy Spirit who came after you. No man can be saved or come to the Father except the Spirit draw him first. And so it's the Holy Spirit doing the drawing. It's the Holy Spirit who gave you the grace, the faith to believe. None of that came from you. It's totally a gift of God. That's the attitude, understanding that as a believer. And then he goes further. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. So this is post-Christian. This is after you become, or post-life uh, 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 of sin. This is now that I'm saved. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. But here's the cool thing, because God is God, and he has foreknowledge, and he has election. 
God ordered all this up beforehand, before I was born, which God prepared before, and that we should walk in them. When I consider what God has done for me, the grace that God has given, the ways that he's blessed me. I've got a wonderful, I've got four children. I've got 13 grandchildren. I've got number 14 on the way. And I, I, that's none of that's to me or to Rini. That is the glory of God at work on full display. Be fruitful and multiply. And my kids are obeying the Lord. <laughs> I cannot take credit for that. But when I consider these types of things, when I consider the fact that God saved me, that he, gave, he gifted me in such a way that when I was a boy, I never had a clue. But here I am, a pastor for 42 years. All of that is the grace of God, that he would allow me to pastor this body of believers. What a privilege, what an honor to be a, one of the four, five shepherds of this flock. Oh, what a blessing that is. And, and, and that leads me to realize he did all that because he has a work for me to do. And he has the same for you. And giving carries forward the work that God wants to do. Amen? You can't disconnect giving to the work of God. It fits together. And the only way it will fit together is if you see him as Lord and you come under him, surrender to him. Thirdly, Christian giving should be love-driven, love-driven. It's a demonstration of, Christian, of a Christian's love. Paul builds off the concept of love in chapter 2, verses, or verse, uh, chapter 8, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 8, 8, and he continues in verse 9. Here's what he says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, through, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Why? So that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus gave of himself. He loved you. Because God loves me, it compels me to love others. It compels me to be concerned about the needs of others. It, it compels me to be concerned about the needs of God's work through his church. I cannot come and worship God and love God and yet be disconnected to giving to God because my giving is also part of my worship. Jesus gave of himself. Again, it's Paul's reference to love in verse 8 that prompted this example. Jesus' death on the cross was the ultimate demonstration of God's love. That's, and you can go to Here's a passage for your homework, 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. I think you'll recognize it. As we meditate on the grace of God and as we pursue God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, God will fill us with his love so that we can then pour this love out on those around us so that we can return love back to God himself. One of the manifestations of Christian love is generous giving. That's what Paul is saying about the Macedonians. These are poor people who were going through a terrible time. Yet, out of their poverty, they well up in thankful giving. Far beyond what, they, what, they, what I would, would have expected. They gave beyond their ability, Paul said. How? 
Where did that come from? They had a right view of God's love in their own hearts. John Mueller, a theologian, he said this, quote, it is only at the foot of the blood-stained cross of Calvary that the believer learns the art of Christian giving. Christian giving should be driven by love and no better example to understand that love than the work of Jesus Christ for us, the work of the Father through his Son. Now let's look at the motivation for giving quickly. I want to just give these three things to you or four things. We'll see how far we get. Number one, thankfulness to God should motivate our giving. We kind of covered that already, but in verse 12, he says, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. As a Christian grows in their thankfulness to God, our giving will grow as well. Again, let me say it. Uh, I've never found anybody who has a truly thankful heart who is stingy with their things. Somebody said to me yesterday, we were out working, and I was on the, no on the north side with about four other people working, and somebody said, oh, and others came over and started putting, throwing stuff in the back of my truck. And they said, oh, I'll, we'll try to be real careful not to scratch up the side, you know, and stuff. And I said, hey, let me tell you something. I, I told one of the guys, I said, uh, I treat my truck like I think about Mary, the mother of Jesus. Here it is. Mary is to be honored. My truck is to be respected. It's a, I want to be a good steward of it, but not worshipped. I don't worship my truck. So if it gets a ding, a dent, a scratch, so be it. If it's doing the work of the Lord, what could I complain about? Amen? Don't think more of things than you do God and his work. Thankfulness. Colossians 3.15, Paul said, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. He didn't just say it there. He said it to the Thessalonians. He said it to the Philippians. He kept coming back to this idea that true Christian living is thankful living. Now, look, we can all get bent over something. Something goes wrong in our life. I would say finding mold behind my cabinets, that would kind of turn me sideways for a little while. But, but the reality is this. But there's still stuff I can be thankful for so that that one area where I'm facing an adversity doesn't overtake my life. Are you a navel-gazer? Do you spend most of your time looking inward at you and all of your problems and what I have to face and nobody had the upbringing I had and woe is me? That's your theme song. You'll never experience the Christian life that way. Not the one that God has for you. You got to be thankful. You got to lift your eyes off of your navel and look out. And thank God for all he's done for you. Think about how he has saved you. How he has placed you in his body, in a church where people love God, who are imperfect just like you and mess up all the time. But we love each other so much we work through our problems. And we go forward. And God gets the glory for it. Why? Because 
All of it is an act of worship. All of it. Let me give you another one. Another Number three, every Christian should be motivated by the praise of his God. Hey, folks, Matthew 25, 11, Jesus wasn't kidding when he said that you, even if you give a penny, if it's given with the right heart and it's sacrificial, heaven rejoices over you. It's It's awesome. Mark chapter 12, verse 42. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering here. He wasn't saying she gave more money than anybody else. She gave the least. But here's what she gave more of. For they all contributed out of their abundance. She gave out of her poverty and has put in has put in everything she had. What wealthy person is going to give everything? Now, is God asking a wealthy person to give everything? He could, but no. Biblically, he's not. But he is asking you to be like the widow and make your gift sacrificial from time to time when he leads you. Make sense? She gave two lepta, which is equal to less than t- 10 minutes worth of an average workday. The amount she put in is significant because Jesus said that it put, it, she put in everything she had. You say, well, I thought this message was for the wealthy in the room. No, no. It's for the poor, too. You give out of what you have. And if it hurts, it's okay. I'm not saying deny your bills. I'm not saying that if you're up to your neck in debt that you should try to just give more and more to God because God will then take away your debt. I'm not saying that. That's, that's, a, that's a false message that many preach today. I'm saying you need to be wise. God's not commanding you to give a tenth by Scripture in the New Testament. And you should consider with thanksgiving and with grace and love what you would give. And then you give. But you also God would expect you to be responsible for your bills, responsible for your debt. And God can bless. Sometimes he does bless us financially, something that we didn't see coming. But usually the blessing is what we're going to receive when we get to heaven. You're storing up treasures when we give. Christians should be motivated by future rewards. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. How many of you long to hear that one day? Well, that's not just in your ability to sing on Sunday. That's not just in your ability to put a nail on a roof for the church. It's also in your giving, and sometimes even more so. I want to conclude by saying this. Supporting the local church is the obligation of every believer. The amount is not about obligation. That is between you and the Lord. But the Lord expects a true believer to be thankful. The Lord expects a true believer to participate in the worship of giving. He expects it. You're worshiping God through giving. But that number, that amount, that's between you and the Lord. Be thankful. Think about that. Ponder, meditate upon the love of God, the grace of God, 
and then give what the Lord would move you to give. Paul really does speak well of that. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16, verse 2, he talks about the believer being, he's, ex, he's, he's exhorting the believer to be involved with the collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And, and the church at Corinth probably included women and slaves, and they are included in this exhortation here in chapter 8 as well. So he's, he's, he, he thinks everybody ought to participate in, in, in the act of worship through giving. Now, interestingly, it should be remembered that churches have bills regularly. Some people, I had one guy say to me one time, he goes, well, I just give once a year. At the end of the year, I give. Well, okay, if everybody thought the way you do, then the church, would, how would they pay their bills all, all year long? How would the ministries go forward? See, our giving is, is distributed amongst ministries. It takes care of, of those things, of operations and things. So Paul said, you should consider on the first day of every week what it is that you want to give. How do you consider? Again, thanksgiving, that's the spirit, the attitude, and consider the love and the grace of God in your giving. Every week. One week it might be a certain amount. Another week it's a different amount. It could be one week you don't give anything. You don't feel led. The Lord's not saying to you. You're not. That's okay. No condemnation to those who are in Christ. But for me to sit here and say to you, well, not everybody has to give. Uh, or if you're poor, you shouldn't give anything. That would be to go against Scripture. Scripture wants all of us to participate because he wants all of us to worship him. Amen? Let me also just say one more thing, too, that I think is important. The underlying principle of giving is this concept of giving cheerfully. How much cheer do you want in your life? I want to be cheerful. So keep giving. Because the Lord loves a cheerful giver, the Scripture says. So... You know, I've, I've seen it where churches will take an offering. In fact, we, we did this at one point just to kind of practice cheerful giving. So when we would announce we were going to take, the, back when you used to pass the plate, remember that? We'd pass the plate and say, hey, we're going to go ahead and take an offering at this time. And the whole church, Whoa! cheerful giving. I can see some of you are not resonating with this. And it really is a private matter. But in your heart, there ought to be cheer or joy over the privilege of, of, of participating in the act of giving. I want us to pray, and I think most of all, when we think about the act of grace, the act of, of love, we have to consider the work of Christ. That's the first and foremost thing. And if you're here today and you're just now learning, you're hearing that Jesus went to the cross to die for you. I talked earlier about the prodigal son but now I want to talk to you about being a lost sinner that's never known God. And today you're like, man, I feel like there's something in what's being said. I don't understand it all, but I, I do want to know God. I do want, because the Spirit's calling you to that. God wants you to be saved if you're feeling that drawing. He, he's drawing you to save you. But you have to understand it's because Jesus went to the cross and he suffered and he died and he took on your sins for you. And God judged him. And Jesus died under the judgment of God for the sins of mankind. All you have to do now is by grace through faith say, I believe. 
that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe when the Bible says that he went to the cross and he died for me, and I receive him by faith today. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for rescuing me from my sins. Thank you for taking away my sin debt and in place giving me the righteousness of, of, of Christ. What, a, what an incredible experience for any human being to be loved by God through salvation. If that's you, right now, just cry out to God in your own heart, Lord, thank you for loving me enough to die for me. I receive you by faith. Through the grace of God, I receive you as my Savior, Jesus. You have to turn from your sins. There has to be a turning away, a repenting, a, a lamenting over your sinful condition, a godly sorrow that will lead to repentance. That needs to happen. Otherwise, it's just a thought in your head, and you go back to your sin tomorrow or today. But when you repent and you confess your sin before God, it says he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all of your unrighteousness. Wow. Father, today, thank you. Thank you that there are people here today, maybe, who have never received Jesus as their Savior. And it's because they haven't understood the work that he did for them on the cross. It's because they don't understand what it means to turn from sin, to repent, to experience godly sorrow over the life that we've lived and now say, Lord, I want to give that up and I want to turn to you and I see you as my Savior and I want to follow you. You are my Lord. You're not just my friend. You are a friend, but you're my Lord. And I come under you, under your headship. I, I want to be obedient I want to live a Christian life the way you've designed it because I want maximum fulfillment while I'm here on this earth. And I want the will of God to be done. So use me, Lord, to fulfill the works that you created for me to do before I was ever born. Do it, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What a privilege to stand before you. And I hope you sense that I share this with love and grace and charity. I don't come uh, to judge anyone, to criticize you, uh, but just to sh give you the word and let the Lord take it from there with you, right? So God bless each of you um, and uh, hope that you have a wonderful afternoon with your family and friends or if you're going back to your place, meditate on the, thing, on the grace of God, on the love of God. It'll encourage your heart, okay? God bless each of you. Thank you.